0: suggestion of more than a few listeners to the podcast, I've decided to do an episode here for October focused on the Inner Sanctum radio shows. I've selected a couple to uh, put in this episode so that you can hear examples of uh, some of the better episodes that still survive. Uh, That's one of the sad things about this. Although the show ran from uh, like 1941 to 1952 uh, and produced more than 500 episodes, there's really only about 200 of them that still exist. Yeah, It's always sad when I find out something like that's true. It's it's the same way I feel about how many movies pre-1950 are just completely lost that we'll never get to see. Uh, but what we've got here is uh, kind of the genesis for one of my favorite things, which is the classic horror host. In a lot of ways, one of the things that Inters- the Inner Sanctum Radio Show kind of gifted to the horror genre is the idea of the horror host. And uh, I'll explain. See, first, the Inner, Sanctum's, uh, Inner Sanctum was a series of uh, novels being published. It, it started in 1930. Uh, it was a Simon & Schuster imprint where they were uh, they were pu- publishing lots of different kinds of books. And not just murder mysteries and things like that. Originally, the, the Inner Sanctum uh, imprint... Put out serious dramas and romances uh they did different covers different colored covers i should say the dramas were blue the romances were red and uh, it seems that the mysteries were published with green covers of course this makes me think of the color coding known in italy for uh murder mysteries uh being yellow uh, a, few, a couple of decades later, where it becomes this thing where giallo, the word yellow, becomes synonymous with not just the uh, mystery genre in printing books, but also in films derived from the same genre. But nevertheless, in uh, 1941, they uh, started a, uh, a radio program called The Inner Sanctum. Uh, it was licensed by Simon Schuster on the condition that at the end of each broadcast, the announcer would promote the latest book published in the series so if you listen to enough episodes you'll hear them uh you know recommending or or at least mentioning the title of the most recently published inner sanctum novel and of course they would usually at that time stick to talking about the mystery slash horror uh elements of the the things being published so Pretty cool. The uh, The radio show, The Inner Sanctum, is where we're going to focus today, though. So the, uh, the it was an anthology series, obviously. It was a series of mysteries and horror stories. Sometimes just suspense stuff, kind of crime stuff, where you're, you're, you're kind of following along as someone commits a crime and then desperately tries to not get caught. It's good stuff. Um, but one of the things that, uh, stands out is not just that I really enjoy the writing on the show. The, 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 series is exceptionally well done, but as I stated before, it introduces something that the other shows didn't. And then later shows kind of followed on afterwards with what you have is, um, a host by the name of Raymond, who, uh, who introduces the show He's, he does it in a, in a mocking kind of sardonic way and he's very, very arch in his delivery. It's wonderful stuff. He's, he he's got a he's got a, a melodramatic organ score being played behind him and he he makes uh, really bad jokes and uh, seriously strained puns at times, but it's really fun. Uh, it's always tongue, it, it, his, his style, no matter what no matter the seriousness of the shows, the, the stories being told, his uh, his tongue-in-cheek style and the, the joy that he brings to introducing these stories and talking about them is just wonderful. It really does obviously point toward the uh, the TV horror hosts that would become something that start start pop, popping up in the, the 1950s and, of course, still continue on to today. So, as far as I can tell, Raymond, the uh, host of the Inner Sanctum show... Is the first of these types of hosts, and everything kind of descends from him. If there's something before that, I'd love to know who it was. I'd love to hear an example. It'd be, it'd be great. But uh, what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna play uh, three episodes from the Inner Sanctum. I'll uh, I'll come in in between the episodes to kind of set up the the, the next one, and we're gonna start with one that uh, should get everybody's blood racing because uh, it stars Boris. Karloff. This this is this is fun. This is an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's "The Tell-Tale Heart," and it is a very fun adaptation. And of course, it having Boris Karloff in the lead adds to it immensely. I think it's I think it's a great little adaptation. It's very fun, and uh, this is uh, this is from early on in the run of the show, and so one of the more uh, colorful aspects of the hosting duties of raymond uh hasn't entered the show at this point yet but we'll talk about that uh, later on when i uh when i uh bring you one of the episodes with his uh, eventual co-host as well but right now this is uh from uh the Inter sanctum radio series boris karloff from an episode from uh, august the 3rd 1941 the telltale heart
1: Inner Sanctum Mystery, brought
2: to you by the makers of Carter's Pills. Good evening, friend. Let me welcome you once more to the Inner Sanctum. This is Raymond, your host. Come in, won't you, and sit down. No, no, I'm not being polite. I'd prefer you to sit, see. Because within the next five minutes, you're going to be so weak in the knees that you won't be able to stand.
3: <laughs>
2: Inner Sanctum Mysteries
1: again has the pleasure of bringing you the famous star of radio, screen, and stage. Now featured in the current Broadway success, Arsenic and Old Lace, Boris Karloff. This evening, Mr. Karloff appears in Robert Newman's dramatization of Edgar Allan Poe's famous story... The Tell-Tale Heart. Presented for your entertainment by the makers of Carter's Little Liver Pill, The best friend to your sunny disposition.
2: And now our story. A story based on a tale by the greatest master of the macabre that ever lived, Edgar Allan Poe. The story of a man who could hear not only every sound on earth, but, uh, even things that don't exist. So, turn down the lights, call in a friend or neighbor to keep you company, and listen to Boris Karloff as Simon in A Telltale Heart. It's early evening. The sun is just setting behind a range of low hills. On top of the nearest hill is a huge rambling building surrounded by park-like grounds. A road winds from its gates down to the little village below. Down this road comes a man. He's tall, gaunt, his hair snow-white. He's so busy with his spot that he doesn't see the small, dark man who sits by the roadside, but just as he is about to pass him.
4: Good evening.
5: Huh? Oh, why, good evening.
4: Nice evening, isn't
5: it? Nice. Why, it's the most wonderful, perfect evening I'll ever know this side of heaven. You don't say. You can't know what it's like to feel as if you've just risen from the dead, as if your tomb was opened and you were told that you could return to the world that you knew and loved. Can't I? You can't. You see, my name is Simon. I was a musician. Two years ago, I went Tone death, suddenly, completely. Do you know what deafness means to a musician? It's like dying, or worse, like dying and knowing that you're dead. Oh, I went to doctors, but they could do nothing for me, and... But finally, one of them sent me to see the doctor who has the place up on the hill here. Dr. Adair? Yes, Dr. Adair. He kept me with him for six months, and now... Now I'm going home again. We cured you? You can hear? Hear? Listen. Listen hard and tell me what you can hear right now. Nothing very much. The wind? (laughs) Cricket? Cricket and the wind. Do you know what I can hear? I can hear the grass growing. The sap rising in the trees. I can hear the stars moving in their courses. I can hear things that no man ever heard before. Now, do you know why I said that this was the most wonderful evening that ever was? Yes, Simon. But I knew why before. You see, I just left the place up on the hill myself. You left there? You mean... When I was taken there, I was blind. Oh. Your eyes. Yes, I... I haven't noticed before that they asked, me. Shall we walk on together? Simon? Uh, just where did you plan to go? Well, I've been thinking about that for weeks now. All the weeks when I couldn't leave my room. I must get used to being able to hear again, gradually. From my window, I could see an old mill, just this side of the village. Yes, it's... It's deep in the woods, deserted. There's moss on the water wheel, and the door hangs open by one hinge. You mean that you can see it from here? My eyes have become as good as your hearing. You thought of going there, living there? For a while, until I was ready to return to the world. Oliver, why don't you come with me? Then when we are both ready... We can go back together to the world.
4: Yes.
5: Yeah. I could do that. Think of what it's going to mean, how much we're going to be able to help people, you with your sight and I with my hearing. Help <laughs> Yes. Yes, of course. All right, Simon.
6: We'll go to your old mill.
5: This way, Oliver. Up this path. it? What's it? Someone's Posse. coming. Posse. The farmer, he, he seems to be looking for something. Good evening. I'm looking for my cow. Have you seen her? Well, what kind of a cow is she? A brown and a white one with a crooked horn. Wait. I hear her. She's grazing in a field on the other side of the woods. Hear her? That's almost a mile from here. I have good ears. Good. You must have ears like a fox. But that field, that's the squire's. How did you get there? You think someone took her? Who would? Well, it's the squire's land, but he's the richest man around here. Why should he have taken my cow? Wait a minute. Ah, let me see. Yes. Yes, I do see someone with your cow. He's just leaving her. You, you can see that? Right through the
6: woods? I have good eyes.
5: Who is it? What's he like? Is he tall, wearing a brown jacket? Yes. I knew it. It's the squire. He's trying to steal my cow. I'd better go get her. Thank you very much. Perhaps I'll see you both again. Perhaps. We'll both be staying around here for a while there in the old mill. Why did you tell him that, Oliver? Did you really see the squire taking his cow? I saw what he wanted me to see. What do you mean? He hates the squire because the squire's rich and he's poor. But but what? Never mind, Simon. Shall we go on to the mill? Here we are. And it's just the way I knew it would be. Quiet, peaceful, no noises, just sound. And even those are dulled by the waterfall.
6: Yes, it's just the way I knew it would be, too. Dark, dank. The home of the rats and spiders. Spiders. We'll be happy
5: living here with them. Happy with rats and spiders? Why? Because they're like me. Rats see in the dark, and spiders spin webs. I don't understand you, Oliver. Must you always see the worst, the most evil side of everything? Always. But why? Don't you love people? Don't you think that this is a good world? A good world when I was blind for more than two years? But whose fault was that? What difference does that make? I was blind. And did anyone care that I was? No. Love people? I hate them. But Oliver, that's wrong. You've no right to hate anyone or anything. What's that? What? The sounds like wings, like... Yes, there it is, There. A swallow. Why, it's frightful trying to get out. Why, it's beating itself against the wall and. Oh, poor thing. It's it hurt itself. Fallen to the ground. I'd better catch it. Is it badly hurt? No, I, I don't think so. Oh, just this one wing. Here, let's see. Perhaps we can uh, put a splint on it, heal it. Do you think so? Here. Here, Oliver. But be gentle. It's still terribly frightened. I will. Right. I will. Oh, Oliver! What are you doing to the bird? Doing... Blood, you... Well, you crushed the swallow. Killed it. Why, well, so I have. You... You killed it deliberately. You think so? I told you we all have some
6: badness deep inside us. Even you. Here you are ready to believe the worst of me. That I'd wantonly crush her. A harmless little sparrow to death and...
5: Simon. What is it? I... I don't know, but there's, there's something in your face. Something that wasn't there before. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going up to bed.
3: Simon! Simon, wait!
5: It wasn't he that was blind. It was I, I. Oh, he is bad. Even clean through. He's like one of the spiders he loves so much. Lurking here and spinning cunning webs to catch innocent people in. And what he saw in my face just now. There was something there. Something that wasn't there before. Death. Why did this have to happen to me? I was so happy just a little while ago. I loved everyone, the whole world.
2: And now... Now I have to kill him. And here I am, friend. Raymond, your host in the inner sanctum. Who also loves everyone. So, Simon has decided he must murder his companion. Not because he wants to, but in order to keep him from spreading the hate and evil he seems to love. (laughs) That's a charming idea. But... If Oliver's eyes are as good as he says they are, good enough to see death in Simon's face, how will he be able to do it, hmm? Quite a problem, isn't it? Well, Raymond, everyone has problems. It's the answer that counts. It certainly does, Mr. Hurley, in a mystery drama. Yes, and in a domestic drama, too. If you don't believe it, listen to what Agnes Vale says to her husband at the dinner table. Oh,
1: Bob, you haven't said a word about the cake, and I baked it especially for your birthday. After
7: thirty, no one wants to be reminded of birthday. Oh, that's
1: silly. Besides, a person's only as old as they feel. Well, if
7: that was the case, I'd be about 60.
1: You mean 90. No one could save up the grouch you've gotten only 60 years. If you
7: felt as irritable, low, and out of sorts as I have lately, you'd be grouchy, too. Of
1: course I would. Anybody would. But the thing to do is not to feel that way. What can
7: anyone do about it?
1: Very simple, my dear. Try Carter's little
8: liver pills.
1: Right. And when you don't feel good, try Carter's little liver pills. They do the work of calomel, but have no calomel in them. For they are simple pills made of vegetable drugs. They wake up the flow of one of our most vital digestive juices. When this vital juice flows at the rate of two pints a day, it helps to digest our food and bring back the glorious feeling that goes with regularity. Then most folks feel like happy days are here again. But be sure you get the genuine Carter's Little Liver Pill.
2: Well, friends... Are you sorry I advised you to sit down before? I thought not. You still want me to go on with the story of the tell-tale heart? Very well. It's a little later that same evening, and Simon is sitting in the upper story of the old
5: deserted mill, waiting, listening. Sleep, Oliver, sleep. Aren't you ever going to sleep? Oh, I know you're lying down. I heard you getting undressed. I even heard the thread snap when you pull that button off your shirt. But you're not asleep yet. I can tell by your breathing, the way your heart's beating. And that's what I must wait for. The time when you're really asleep. When you close those hawk eyes that can see even in the dark, that could read murder in my face when I didn't know it was there myself. Wait a minute. There. Now you're asleep. And now I must go. Easy with the door. Careful. And even more careful going down the stairs. Shh! Don't creak like that. Suppose he wakes. Wake up he can't. And, and even if he does... Uh, here we are. The door to his room. How shall I do it? Those sacks he's using as a pillow. If I pulled them out and held them over his face and smothered him, that's it, yes. And then I wouldn't have to touch him. I wouldn't... Who's
3: that?
5: Who's there? There is someone there. I can see you. It's Simon. Yes, it's Simon. What do you want? What are you doing here? I know you've come to kill me. Yes, Oliver. I've come to kill you. Philip, you can't do that. You can't. Yes, Oliver, I can. And I have to. Oh, please don't struggle like that. I'm stronger than you are. You can't get away from me. You can't. That noise. Hear it? It's your heart. Beating, pounding, driving the blood through your veins. It's beating more slowly now. Slower and fainter. Running down like a tired clock. I'm not going to let you go until it's stopped. So don't struggle. Don't struggle, please. Few seconds more. Uh, I can hardly hear this. I had to do it. And that's why I'm not going to give myself up or confess that I killed you. Because I could still help people. You understand, don't you? That's why I must get rid of your body, hide it somewhere. Oh, what am I to do with you? I know. I'll keep you here, tear up the floor, and hide you underneath it. Yeah. Let's see now this, this crowbar. Oh, yeah. This one here. There. That should be big enough. And now
3: in you go.
5: Goodbye, Oliver. Goodbye. Put these boards back. Nail them down again with the same rusty nails. And. And it's done. Now I'll spread this dust over the cracks. No one will be able to tell what I've done. No, not even with your eyes. If you could still use them. What's that? A light. A lantern outside. Someone at the door. Maybe Crystal's come back again. Yes? Who is it? It's Trent. The constable. The constable? What what do you want? Oh, nothing much. Thought I'd drop in. Say hello. Come in, constable. Come right in. Thanks. Weird time of night to be visiting, but I heard there were strangers living out here, and I thought I might... Why, of course. It's part of your job to investigate strangers, isn't Uh, it? Yeah, a way. Not that you're a stranger, exactly. What do you mean? You've been around here for some time, haven't you? Up at Dr. Dare's place in the Hill, I mean. Oh, yes, yes, of course. I, I just left there this afternoon. Uh huh. And your friend, where's he? Sleeping? Friend? Why, there's no one here with me. I'm all alone. Look at that, dear, said you mind if I look around? Oh, no, of course not. I said, I doubt your word or anything
7: like that. Oh, no. But... Don't
5: apologize, Constable. Go right ahead. <laughs> Well, constable. There's certainly no sign of anyone else. Well, I told you, Sutherland. Yes, you did. Now, I'll just
7: sit down here for a
3: minute.
7: My pipe's going.
3: No, no, not
5: there. Don't sit there. Why not? Because... Uh, <laughs> well, it, it was just that the floor looked a little rotten right there, and and I was afraid that... Oh, I, I guess it's all right. Sure. You're strong enough to hold me,
2: anyway. Don't stab if i catch you. Good heavens.
5: What's that? What's what? That. That's fobbing. That noise. Beating away like... I don't hear any noise. But you must, you... Ah, those ears of mine. Sometimes they're too good. It's just your watch ticking. Watch? I haven't got a watch on me. You... You haven't? But then what? The... Oh, look, Constable, I... I could use a bit of exercise. But suppose I walk you back to the village. Well,
7: it's mighty nice of you.
5: i glad to have your company. But there's no hurry, is there? Let's sit here for a while and... I don't want to sit. Constable, will you come now Now this minute if you don't have... I don't know what I'll do. Hey, you have gotten yourself into a state... Is anything the matter? Oh, no, no, of course not. It, oh, it's just that I get nervous, restless, and you won't mind if I, if I walk up and down right here, will you? If it'll make you feel any better. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, this floor, it, uh, it is noisy, isn't it? it isn't noisy enough. Constable, this, this lever here, I, I've been wondering about it. What's it for, you know? Oh, yes. I think it opens the sluice. Starts the middle wheel turn. It does? Then, then let's try it. See if it still works.
9: There.
5: Yeah. It works all right. It's better I can do. It's not loud enough. Constable, by heaven's sake, will you come now and leave here with me? If you don't, I'll, I'll go back. Oh, look, look, there's no need to get so excited. I'm not excited. I'm perfectly calm and quiet. Will you come now, right away? But I told you. I know what you're doing. Sitting there, pretending you haven't heard. Making me stay here and listen to it. Beating louder and louder and louder. All right, I confess... Killed I killed him. His body is right underneath you under the floor. I killed you, and that noise you hear is his heart, the beating of his telltale heart. Hello, Doctor Dare. Oh, Constable. Hello. Well, did you find them? Yes, Doctor. I'm glad. Right. Some of my boys will be bringing the other one, Oliver, along in a little while. Bringing him? Is it matter with him?
7: Well, sort of. They were in the old mill by the river. Simon had evidently tried to kill Oliver, but he hadn't done a good job of it. He nailed him up underneath the floor. And uh, when we got him out, he was unconscious. He's still pretty weak.
5: I see, yes. Bring Simon in, will you? Sure. All right, Simon. In here. Yes, Constable. Now, uh, turn him around so that he's facing me. That's it. Well, hello, Simon. Hello, Doctor. Simon, why did you run away from here this afternoon? Run away? I didn't run away. I left. What need was there for me to stay when I was cured? Oh. And, uh, what you did, or uh, rather tried to do to Oliver? Ah, uh, that was wrong. I know it was wrong, but but I had to do it. He was bad, Doctor, bad. He hated everyone, wanted to hurt them, and I couldn't let him. You know, it's strange, Constable. Two men, both mental cases because of a sudden affliction. But while Oliver's blindness made him hate, Simon's deafness filled him with love for all mankind. Deafness? You mean he's deaf? But, but but, when you talk to him, he answers you. Yes, he reads lips. That's why I had you turn him around, for so he was facing me. But he's stone deaf. He will never hear again. What's that you're saying? Deaf? But I'm not deaf. Why, there's no one can hear better than I. No one. I heard everything when I left here. Things no man has ever heard before. The song of the swan. The breathing of the fish. Why, I even heard the beating of Oliver's heart after I'd killed him. Yes, Simon, of course. I'm not deaf, I tell you.
3: I'm not. I'm not.
2: Simon did hear all the things he said he did, even the beating of the telltale heart, and not with his ears, but with something else deep inside his poor, sick brain. Uh, Speaking of telltale heart, i saw sorry, it's not hard at all, it's just Mr. Hurley's knees knocking together. And if you think you're kidding, Raymond, you're crazy. Oh, I'm not kidding, Ed, and Mr. Carlos' audiences, that's the equivalent of applause since everyone's generally much too scared to so show the usual approval with their hands. So we won't take any chances. We'll just use words and say, thanks, Boris Karla, for your splendid performance of tonight's dramatization of Poe's
5: The Telltale Heart. It is a pleasure, Raymond, to be able to bring our friends one of the world's most famous stories. And I'm very grateful to Everett Sloan as Oliver and Santos Orteaga, who played Christie, for the help that they gave me. So now, I suggest that you listen to Ed Hurley, who has some helpful advice for which you may be very grateful.
3: This is Raymond again,
2: your host, getting ready to close that door to the Inner Sanctum and say goodnight until the same time next week. Uh, In the meantime, if you care to do a little bloodthirsty reading, try this month's Inner Sanctum novel, I'll Eat You Last, by H.C. Brandon. Uh, in case you've already read that, why not try some of the other stories by the author of tonight's mystery drama, Edgar Allan Poe. According to all critics, this writer has quite a future. Have oh, a good night. Pleasant
1: dreams, huh? to Mysteries will be on the air again next Sunday night, same station, same time with another chiller for thriller fans. So be with us then. This is Ed Hurley, speaking for the makers of Carter's Little Pills, and reminding you, when you don't feel good, try Carter's Little pills the best friend to your sunny disposition. This is the Blue Network of the National Broadcasting Company.
0: All right, so a little bit more of radio history there with Boris Karloff, of course. I wanted to uh, lead with this one, not just because of Karloff, but also it gives you um, the commercials inside this particular episode the sponsor of these episodes at this time on the inner sanctum carter's little liver pills now if you're curious considering the fact that the advertisements within the show don't really give you a sense of just what it is that carter's little liver pills actually did um it was a patent medicine of course and uh, stayed around until the 1960s but i gotta tell you when I found out what it was, it wasn't much of a shock. I mean, back in those days, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, anything that that would generate, um, let's say, movement within your body, would give people a sense that what they were taking to help whatever their ailment was was actually doing them some good. All Carter's little liver pills was was a laxative. Okay, it it would it would help you. It, hey, don't get me wrong. It would definitely, obviously, therefore help you with uh, constipation or maybe even some stomach ailments if that's where things were were originating from. But, um, yeah, that's what they were. They were just a laxative. And the fact that they can't be more clear about what the, the pill was uh, supposed to treat I think kind of falls into their favor because they're able to advertise it as a as a cure for you know headaches and just anything else that comes down the pike anything to do with your your stomach your digestive system so yeah there's that okay going to go on to a second episode of the Inter sanctum radio show now I picked this one because uh, this will give you a good taste of what it was like when they segued into having Two hosts, not just Raymond, but also the uh, the Lipton pitch woman, who became a regular part of the show for a couple of years there as Lipton became the uh, the sponsor of the show. Uh, check this out. This is where they're blending the um, advertisements for the the sponsor into the intro and outro of the shows pretty effectively, and honestly, pretty. Fun pretty amusingly. I gotta admit, I enjoy this stuff. So, check this out. This episode uh, is, uh, this is, this is a pretty tasty one, too, and it'll give you an idea of the show as it moved along further into its run.
10: Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friend. This is your host of the Inner Sanctum, inviting you in through the creaking door. Come on in and enter into the spirit of things. <laughs> Oh, uh, don't pay any attention to those gurgling sounds you hear. They're the unfortunate ones. The midnight spirits who were caught haunting before midnight. Poor things. All they can do now is gurgle. Because they've evaporated into distilled spirits.
4: What a horrifying thought, Mr. Host. Can't we ever talk about the brighter side of life?
10: Well, don't forget, Mary, murder is my business.
4: Well, thank goodness it isn't mine. And right now, I'd much prefer to talk with our Lipton listeners about something more conducive to happy spirits. I mean, a cup of hearty, piping hot Lipton tea. You know, it's really wonderful. The extra delight you get from this superb tea, friends. And the reason is simply this. Lipton's grand, brisk flavor. Brisk, you know, is the tea expert's own word for the fresh, full-bodied, lively flavor of Lipton tea. Because unlike ordinary teas, Lipton's is never flat-tasting or lifeless. Lipton tea is always spirited, full-flavored, truly satisfying. Why, I'd even go so far as to say that once you've tried it, I think you'll enjoy Lipton tea more than any other tea you've ever tasted.
10: And I'll go even further, Mary, and introduce our listeners to tonight's story. It's an original radio play written especially for Inner Sanctum by Emil Tepperman and starring Richard Widmark in the role of Alex Gregory. It's about a man who became master of a secret so fearful that it could never be revealed to any mortal, living or dead. But let him tell you the story himself, how he learned the most terrible secret in all the universe and what he did with it. It was an
6: evening in September, the 15th, to be exact, when I first learned of the existence of Elixir number four. It happened at Professor Jarman's house just off the college campus. You've heard of Jarman, of course, he was to chemistry, what Einstein is to physics. But it was his daughter Elaine, that I was interested in that evening in September when I rang their bell. Oh,
8: hello, Alex. Gosh, is it
6: that late? I'm not even dressed. Hi, sweet. Snap it up, will you? The last show starts at 8.30. Oh, it
8: won't take me long. Wait for me in the library. I'll be ready in a jiffy.
6: I knew my way around the house. I went into the library, and the first thing I noticed was that the door to Professor Jarman's private study was ajar. It had never happened before. The private study and the laboratory beyond were forbidden territory in the Jarman home. Not even Elaine was allowed in there. And now the door was open. I'd heard stories of Jarman's experiments with new and secret formulae. So here was a chance, a possible chance to find out what the old Kaja was working on. I couldn't resist. I pushed open the door and I stepped into the private study. I could hear Jarman in the lab talking to himself. Elaine had told me once that he always talked to himself in the lab. I stood quietly in the study, but I couldn't make out what he was saying in there. I looked around. The study was just a small cubbyhole with a chair, a bookcase, and a desk. And on the desk, I saw the open diary. A single sentence was written on the open page. I stepped closer. And then... I got the first shock. For that sentence was written in Latin. My Latin was rusty, but I was able to decipher the words. We tie secretum in elixir quartum perpetus habeo. In elixir number 4, I have the secret of perpetus life. Perpetus that was the one word I couldn't seem to place in elixir number four I have the secret of something life I was puzzling over that word Prepatus when suddenly the laboratory door was flung open
7: are you doing at my desk? Oh, uh, hello, Professor Charman. I asked you, what are you doing at my desk? Well, the, the study door was open. I, I thought I'd see if you were in here. You were reading my diary.
6: Oh, no, no,
7: Professor. You saw the entry in my diary. Oh, really, Professor, I
6: assure you, 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 you read I... Latin. L- Latin? Well, I, I don't understand. You're
7: sure you don't understand Latin? No, no, I, yeah, I, I don't.
8: can Alex. Ready and... Well,
7: what, is anything wrong? Elaine, I've told you time and again, no one is to be admitted to my study. Oh,
8: I'm sorry, Dad. You must have left the door open. Oh, Alex, you
7: shouldn't I'm the terribly
6: t- sorry, Elaine. I, I found the door open, and I thought Professor Jarman was in here. I, I just
7: wanted to say hello. All right, all right. No harm done, as long as you can't read Latin. Now, get along, you two. I'm busy, but keep out of my study hereafter.
6: I took Elaine to the movies, but I haven't the faintest recollection of what the picture was about. Through my mind kept running that Latin sentence. We secretum in elixir quartum perpetus habeo. When I said goodnight to Elaine at her door after the show, I hurried home to my room and I got out an old Latin dictionary. I looked up the word perpetus. And then I got a strange, cold feeling down my spine. For the word perpetus. Meant perpetual. The Latin sentence which Jarman had written in his diary meant In elixir number four, I have the secret of perpetual life. Professor Jarman had discovered the secret of immortality. All the next day, I conducted my chemistry classes purely by instinct. I couldn't take my thoughts from elixir number four. Every voice in the classroom seemed to sing the same refrain.
8: Accomplished by adding to a dilute solution of H2SO4, a quantitative... Immortality.
6: Never to know the fear of death. To live on serenely. To watch the world change through the centuries. Never to die. It grew on me like a festering tumor, this terrific dream of immortality, everlasting life. I had to have elixir number four. In the afternoon, the first free period I had, I went down the hall to Jarman's office. Come in. May I
7: come in for a moment, Professor? Oh, it's you. Yes, come in. I haven't much time.
6: Professor, uh, I want to apologize for last night. Let's forget about it. No harm done.
7: Well, whatever it was you had written in your diary, it, uh, it must have been pretty important. Oh, no, no, not at all. Only some chemistry notes. Nothing of any importance, just something I've been experimenting with. Well, I'd be very glad to assist you, Professor. Anything I could do, that I'd be... That's very kind of a young man, but I don't need any assistance, thank you. As a matter of fact, the experiment is completed.
6: You mean you're all finished?
7: All, but the practical application... Oh. Well, couldn't I help you on that? It won't be necessary. Tonight, I'm taking the last step. Tonight? I knew what that meant. Tonight, he was going
6: to use elixir number four. He was going to administer it to himself. I had to act tonight or never. Jarman's keys were on his desk. I distracted his attention and I managed to pick them up without his noticing. Then I hurried across town to a locksmith and had him make duplicates of Jarman's house key, his study key, and his laboratory key. Then I returned to the college and I managed to replace the keys on Jarman's desk while he was out. Now, I was ready for an adventure into immortality. At 8.30 30 that evening I let myself into Charman's house, opened the study door, and stepped quietly over to the laboratory. I knew Elaine was at a sorority meeting. The professor and I were the only ones in the house. Charman was standing at the lab table with his back to me, talking away to himself. There was a small vial on the table um, elixir and a hypodermic four. syringe alongside a it. The
7: quantity administered yesterday will be sufficient. At my age, since my blood is too thin, I require the additional dose. But a younger man would need only one injection to cause the necessary type change in his blood. Who's that? Good evening, Professor Charman. I hope I'm not interrupting What are you doing here? How did you get in?
6: So elixir number four changes the bloodstream.
7: hmm? What do you want in here?
6: Quit stalling, Professor. I know what elixir number four is. Ah. So this is it. Elixir number
7: four. Careful. Don't spill it. How much of this stuff have you got? Uh, That's all there is. Five cc's. You mean you haven't got any more? It took me five years to distill ten cc's. Before that, I experimented for ten years. I failed three times.
6: And this is your fourth try. Huh? Elixir number four. And there isn't any more of it?
7: It will take me five years more to make up another bat. Please be careful. Don't drop it.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I won't. You, uh... You said this is enough to make the average man immortal. Me, for instance? Not for you.
7: You hear me? Not for you. Oh, yes, it is, Professor. It's for me. I won't let you... What are you doing with that mallet? What do you think? No. I'm so sorry, Professor. Wait. I'll let you have it. Don't kill me. I've got to kill you. When I
6: take this dose of elixir number four, I'll be immortal. And I don't want anyone to know it.
7: Oh, wait, you fool... You'll never enjoy your immortality. You'll wish you were dead a thousand times. I'll come back to remind you, back to remind you...
6: I didn't hit him hard enough to kill him. That wasn't part of my plan. But when he lay unconscious on the floor, I searched among the chemicals until I found what I wanted. I mixed some chemicals in a test tube, and I watched the fumes forming Then I held the test tube against Jarman's mouth, forcing the deadly gas into his lungs. When I was sure he was dead, I wiped the tube clean of my fingerprints and put it back in the rack. Then I picked up the vial of elixir number four and the hypodermic syringe, and I hurried away, locking all the doors behind me. as soon as I got home I filled the hypo with elixir number four and I gave myself the injection. Almost immediately I felt a strange radiance pervading my body. A new strength was flowing in my blood. I was immortal. I couldn't die. I would go on living
3: and living And
10: living forever. Hey, what's going on here? What's all this about living forever? If you ask me, it would be more of a curse than a blessing. Now, just suppose we all took a shot of this elixir number four. I think of all the people who'd lose their jobs. Grave diggers and stone cutters and shroud makers and hearse drivers and... Oh, I go on. You see what I mean. Why, everybody'd be out of a job. We'd all practically starve to death.
4: Well, then, Mr. Host, maybe we can be glad that nobody has ever found the fountain of youth. You know, I think it's not a matter of trying to live forever. The important thing is to get more enjoyment out of every day. Mm
10: -hmm. For instance, Mary.
4: Well, for instance, one splendid way to get more enjoyment out of an otherwise dull day is to invite your friends in for tea. It's a delightful neighborly custom, made even more delightful when the tea you serve is Lipton's, because there's so much extra pleasure in Lipton tea. The party will seem more of a party the conversation will be more sparkling and your reputation as a thoughtful hostess will soar to the skies the moment your guests take their first sip of Lipton tea. For Lipton's wonderful, brisk flavor makes it a favorite with everybody. So when friends drop in for tea or the family gathers around the dinner table, serve them Lipton's. Tea at its delicious best.
10: And now let's get back to our story. We're all anxious to see what this fellow, Alex, does with his secret of perpetual life. Just imagine, a man with all that time on his hands. Time to kill. And kill. And kill.
6: Immortality.
10: I had it in my
6: blood. I could feel it pulsing in my veins. The vitality, the power... I had to establish an alibi. Not that I expected to need an alibi. Jarman's death would surely look like an accident or suicide when his body was found in the laboratory in the morning. But I wasn't taking any chances on a murder charge. I had so much more to lose now. Wouldn't it be ironic if they were to execute me for murder? (laughs) Me, an immortal? Next morning, I stopped at Jarman's house and rang the bell. I knew Elaine must have gone right to bed when she returned from the sorority meeting last night because she never disturbed her father when he was in the lab. But now, when she discovered that he hadn't been to bed all night, she'd want to investigate. And I wanted to be there when the body was found.
3: Oh,
8: good morning, Alex.
6: Hello, sweet. What's wrong? You look worried.
8: <laughs> come on in. Alex, I am worried. Dad's still in the lab. He didn't go to bed last night.
6: Well, what of it? He must be working on something big.
8: No, no, I'm afraid something's happened. I, I knocked at the door just now and there was no answer.
6: The door was locked?
8: Well, yes, but I have a pass key. I, I wonder if I ought to use it.
6: Well, of course you should.
8: Well, please, Alex. You come with me.
6: Of course, darling. Together, we opened the laboratory door. I was all set to act horrified when we discovered the body on the floor. But there was no need to act. I was horrified. For the... The lab was empty. There was nothing on the floor. The body of Professor Jarman was gone. I don't know for how many hours after that that I walked the street, confused and frightened and uncomprehending. I I tried to reason it out, how Jarman's body had walked out of that lab. There was only one solution. Jarman had already taken one dose of elixir number four. It must have counteracted the poison that I'd forced into him. He must have gotten up and then walked away. But where? And why? I recalled what he'd said before I hit him with the mallet. Yes, I could hear his voice faintly strumming at my brain. You'll never enjoy your immortality. You'll wish
3: you were dead a thousand times. I'll come back to remind you.
6: The next day, I went to Elaine's house and I saw that she was taking her father's disappearance pretty hard.
8: Oh, Alex, I I don't know what to make of it. Do you think that... That dad, that, oh, that he's no,
6: Now, take it easy, baby. Maybe he's just uh, suffering from amnesia. Maybe he just walked out of the house. He might turn up tomorrow.
8: I have a terrible feeling, Alex, that, that he's dead.
6: What makes you think so?
8: Oh, I don't know.
6: Now, now, please, Elaine, that won't do you any good. Oh, but
8: it's the uncertainty. If, if I only knew for sure. Alex, Hmm. do you believe in mediums?
6: Communicating with the dead?
8: Do you believe a medium can put you in touch with the dead?
6: Oh, is that what you're thinking of, darling? Going to a medium?
8: Don't you see, Alex? If dad... Oh, if dad is dead, maybe... Maybe...
6: I was worried, too. I had to know if Jarman was dead or alive. I had to know before I could start enjoying life. Yes, yes, that might be a good idea, Elaine. Can't hurt to try. There's a medium in town. Oh, I...
8: I don't know what I want to do. Let me think about it.
6: Sure, sure, darling. In the days that followed, I began to doubt whether I really was immortal. Was elixir number four really the elixir of life? Was I really going to live forever? If there was only some way to prove it. Then I remembered what Jarman had said, that the elixir caused a change of blood type. Well, that'd be easy enough to check. Elaine was taking a medical course, so I asked her to test my blood on the pretext that I thought I had anemia.
8: It won't hurt, Alex. The needle. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) There, now I've got all the blood I need. Just sit here a minute while I make the test.
6: Well, uh, does it take long?
8: Mm -mm, Only a minute. Alex.
6: She was excited. There was something different about my blood
8: then. Alex. Alex, come here quick. What? Look. Oh, look, Alex. I I can't be mistaken. Your blood... It's a new type
6: Elaine couldn't get over the discovery that my blood was a new type I'd asked her not to tell anyone about my new blood type But I knew she wouldn't be able to keep the secret for long And once it got out, people might begin to suspect what I already knew for sure That I was immortal Oh, I couldn't afford to have that known Because then everybody in the world would be envious of me They'd hate me too Because they'd know I could go on living long after they were dead Oh no No, it had to be a secret forever No one in the whole world must know Except myself And the only person who could spill the secret now Was Elaine So There was only one thing to do Elaine furnished the opportunity herself the next day.
8: Alex, I've been thinking about that medium. I've got to know if... if Dad is alive or... or dead.
6: All right, whatever you say, darling. If it'll make you feel any better. I'll go with you, of course. Just the two of us, huh? We made a date to go to the séance that evening. And I made my plans accordingly. I didn't intend that Elaine should leave the séance... Alive We arrived at the medium's house promptly at nine o'clock The medium asked Elaine and me to sit close to each other And then She put out the lights Alex It's all right, sweet I'm right here, I'm right next to
8: you I'm frightened
6: There's nothing to be frightened about, darling I'm right here with you
8: But it's so dark I... I can't see anything I don't hear anything. Where's the medium?
6: She's still here. She's right across the table. She's gone into a trance.
8: Do you think she'll contact that spirit?
6: I don't know, darling. Wait and see. I timed myself carefully, waiting for the moment when the medium should be well into her trance. Then I took out of my bed hypodermic syringe I held the plunger in my left hand while I gripped Elaine's arm with my right my thumb over the artery
3: oh, Alex
6: my arm your fingers hit. it's alright sweet slowly I brought the hypodermic needle up close to the artery one bite of the needle a single plunge of the plunger and death would come almost instantaneously and no one in the world could say that it hadn't been heart failure. But suddenly, just as I had the plunger ready, I heard... I heard something strange.
3: A sound.
6: In the room where there should have been no sound. You'll never enjoy your immortality. You'll wish you
7: were dead a thousand times. I'll come back to remind you. Back the dead. To remind you, back
8: the voice to remind of the remind
6: you, dead. Charmin, where remind are you? you? German, stop. You're Back dead. You're dead, German. You can't be talking. You're
3: dead. I saw your dead body. I killed you myself.
6: Suddenly, the lights flashed up. The room was full of police.
3: Arrest him,
8: officer. He killed my father. You heard his confession. That voice. That, was... that was dad's voice, Alex. A recording. What? A recording? That's why he always talked to himself in the lab. He had a wire recording machine. He talked while he carried on his experiments so that there'd be a permanent record. The wire recorder picked up everything that was said in the lab the night you killed him. But we could never have proved it was your voice in court if you hadn't confessed just now.
11: Yes, but the body...
8: I found Dad dead that night when I got back from the meeting. And I hid the body until I could find his murderer. And now, Alex, I found him. (laughs)
6: All through the trial, Elaine sat and watched me. All the time the jury was out, she sat and watched me. And she watched me while they read the verdict of guilty. Her eyes never left me when I stood up to be sentenced and heard the judge say...
2: Alex Gregory, it is the judgment of this court that you be confined to the penitentiary for the rest of your natural life.
3: (laughs) Me.
6: Me of all people. Me sentenced to imprisonment for life.
8: Me in whose veins runs the precious elixir number
7: four. Imprisonment for the rest of my natural life,
3: which means forever.
10: I feel kind of sorry for Alex. He really got a tough break. Locked up in a cell for all eternity and no way out. Yes, looks like they'll have to build a new jail around him every thousand years or so. Of course, there's one way out for him. He could let his beard grow for a couple of centuries, and when it gets long enough, he could hang himself.
4: Oh, imagine <laughs> such a thing, Mr. Host.
10: Yes, it would be sort of breathtaking, wouldn't it, Mary? (laughs) Poor Alex. He probably had many good impulses in his lifetime. As the trouble is, he didn't follow them.
4: Well, Mr. Host, I'm afraid that's something we all do every now and then. For instance, perhaps some of you Inner Sanctum fans have promised yourselves the pleasure of trying Lipton tea, but somehow just haven't gotten around to it. Or maybe you've just forgotten it when you're writing out your grocery list. Well, this time, make sure. Add Lipton tea to your grocery list right now. For until you do try it, you're missing a real treat. Why not start enjoying lively, full-bodied Lipton tea beginning tomorrow?
10: And now, friends, before I say goodnight, here's a pleasant bit of philosophy Biologists tell us that all life starts in a little cell. And for convicted murderers, it ends there, too. (laughs) Oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Death in the Limelight by A.E. Martin. And next week's Inner Sanctum story, brought to you by the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup, and directed by Hyman Brown, next week's story is called You'll never escape. So, if you feel in a capturing mood, join us next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Until then, good night. Pleasant dream. Mm-hmm.
4: Friends, you want to know how to make an ordinary meal into a feast? Start it right. Start it bright with tempting, heartwarming Lipton's Noodle Soup. Lipton's Noodle Soup is ready to serve in a jiffy. And what a treat it is. Lots of tender, golden noodles and a world of real chickeny flavor that makes it taste homemade. It's economical, too. Lipton's Noodle Soup mix costs less and makes lots more than canned soups. So try Lipton's Noodle Soup real soon. And don't forget to tune in next week at the same time for another Inner Sanctum mystery.
10: This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: All right. Creepy, creepy. A little bit more Inner Sanctum there, so next up i'm gonna go ahead and uh, just let you know that the reason i'm including this episode is primarily for the title i think it's a pretty good episode not a great one but i think that it's a good one to end this show on to give you another sense of uh, what inner sanctum could do this episode is called a corpse for halloween so therefore perfect for this time of year and uh, like i say almost any inner sanctum is good inner sanctum some are better than others This isn't, I think, one of the best episodes of the show, but it is timely for October. So uh, we'll end the show with Corpse for Halloween. Thank you for listening to the show. Remember, if you've got any comments about any of the episodes of The Bloody Pit, thebloodypit at gmail.com is the place to send them. Thank you for listening, and uh, we will talk to you again next episode.
9: Your hosts to welcome you through the creaking door into the inner sanctum. Come on in. <laughs> One prankish little fellow, whom we shall call maniac, for lack of a stronger word, just set fire to the walls. He said a closed room made him feel confined. As a result, four other characters are slightly burned up now. <laughs> tonight's inner sanctum mystery corpse for halloween was written by john robert and stars larry haynes in the role of jimmy with barry kroger as Kavanaugh. and now let's unhinge our minds a little after all, what's a little insanity among friends? Mm. Tonight's story dramatizes the fanatical hold of memory. The one scene, the one fragment that plays and replays over and over again in your mind. The one terror that's with you when you dine and when you walk and when you sleep. Oh
11: to sleep who can sleep I'm here in the 35 cent flop but I'm in the Burma jungle watching a scene that never gets stale even though it's 5 years old I can hear sounds travel across the brush I pick them up as if I'm a receiving set animal sounds I see, as if my eyes are in the sky, I see two grim figures standing with their rifles aimed at a pair of jungle beasts, a tiger and its mate, in a crouch, ready to jump. They fire point blank together as if by signal. No so good. They miss. The beasts roar and leap. I hear them scream out, Kavanaugh, and Boxer Just before they die. Years and you've been everywhere trying to forget, and you almost do forget, but it edges right back into your mind by itself, like like when a guy suddenly sneaks up on you in the night. Do you have a match? What do, do you have a match? Oh, yeah, yeah sure. You uh, popped up on me so suddenly. You're a nervous man, thank you. I have a parcel with me. For you. For me? What, are you kidding? No. I have a parcel for you. Here, take it. Uh, wait a minute.
1: Hey, 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 wait.
11: But he's gone. just the way he came. As if he's... He's a chip off my sanity. As if there'd been nobody... But there is a package left with me The mind doesn't dream up a package A cardboard box, heavy kind of And tissue, lots of tissue around something that That had the feel of a head It is a head The stuffed head of a jungle tiger Its mouth fixed in the snarl that sends the blood hammering to my head Doesn't make sense no good figuring it out, toss it into the river, box and all, and get away. Get among the people. Yeah, yeah, Rocco's got a Rocco's. Get the jukebox going and slip into a fox. Coffee, Rocco. Jimmy, I got something for you. For me, Rocco? A package. The guy come in before and leaves a package for you. See? For Jimmy Fox. Your name on it. My name? My name's Jimmy Scott, you know that. Scott, yes, but the man says your name is also Jimmy Fox. He says he knows. He knows? I took the package outside into the night, into an alleyway. Another cardboard box, heavy. And and tissue, lots of tissue around. Something that had the feel of a head... (laughs) It was a head But not a tiger's this time It was a human skull It shone with a hard white light Where the moon touched it And then it seemed to speak Did you have a mask? What? <laughs> you're being an idiot It isn't a skull talking to you, it's me You? Where are you? I'm behind you I, I don't see you it's because you're afraid to See me now? Yeah, A black suit and a face grinning at me like like a laughing mask. It is a laughing mask. Well, why are you wearing a mask? Why not? Tonight's Halloween. Uh, Halloween? Sure. Halloween. And not everybody plays jokes. Oh, George, I should have remembered it was Halloween. Can you identify the skull? Identify? What kind of a gag are you trying to... Suppose I give you an hour to identify the skull. It's eight now. Until nine o'clock then, Jimmy. Uh, Wait. Hey, hey, wait. It was gone again. As if there'd been nobody. Just another big chip off my sanity. I really had to get away from myself now. I hit the back streets. and, And then somewhere a big neon sign across the tenement pulled me off the sidewalk. It read... The Tillery Street Boys' Neighborhood Association. Halloween costume ball. Public invited. A girl in a booth, masked like a witch, stopped me at the door. Mask, mister? Uh, m- m- mask. Oh, uh, sure, sure, give me one.
9: Black, green, yellow, or
11: purple? What's your favorite color? Uh, yellow. All right,
7: here
11: you are. Fifty cents. Here uh, yeah. Oh. Oh, what?
7: Just a description left with me. I'd almost forgotten. Uh, Are you Jimmy Fox?
11: Suppose I was Jimmy Fox. What about it?
7: This grocery bag was left here for you. A man told me to tell you. You forgot it somewhere. And he said that he'd meet you one place or another later.
11: Here, take it. By the shape of it,
7: I'd say you had a Halloween pumpkin inside.
11: What if I told you there was a human skull inside that grocery bag? place or another he did he was under a street lamp waiting for me to happen along <laughs> hello Jimmy have you dared to call the skull by name yet or must I look that gag isn't paying off Misty. all right go ahead you call it by name Dolan, Boxer Dolan remember him I uh, never knew the guy he no doubt got me confused have I Jimmy You've changed your appearance cleverly... except for one thing disguise could never conceal. One thing? Your guilt. You wear it like a badge of shame. Oh, what am I guilty of? Murder. Two men left an encampment in the Burma jungle just before dawn. Two men. Boxer Dolan and Kavanaugh. The third man remained behind. He played sick, pretended to fever. The third man was you, Jimmy. Must I tell you the rest... Tell me the rest. Dolan and Kavanaugh carried rifles... in the event of a jungle encounter. There was a jungle encounter. A tiger and its mate. An emergency, but... an easy one to resolve for two expert hunters. Just one shot apiece... and there'd be two more dead tigers. Just one shot apiece. They had their one shot apiece. But the tigers didn't drop dead in their tracks. Instead... Boxer Dolan and Kavanaugh dropped. Ask me what happened, Jimmy. What happened? During the night, someone had emptied their rifle loads and substituted blank bullets. You did that, Jimmy. You engineered the murder of two men. You murdered your two partners in crime. Just one day's push from the Hindu temple, you'd all teamed up to loot. They got within 24 hours of treasure, and then you murdered them. One more day to the temple, so why split three ways, huh? Huh? You know about the temple, but I never pushed on to that temple. No loot, no nothing. How about that? You lost your nerve. You just hadn't counted on losing your nerve. What are you, a detective? No. I'm your second victim. I'm Kavanaugh.
3: Kavanaugh?
11: Kavanaugh was killed. Unfortunately for you, he wasn't. I'll show you what I had to survive Feel my sleeve Feel it It's empty Torn out of the socket And now the face behind this Laughing gargoyle I wear See the left profile It isn't pretty, is it? The eye The eye's gone, too I spent five years finding you, Jimmy I've waited a long time to let you see my face. You came after me to kill me? After you've had the same 24 hours you arranged the Doron and I would have. What do you mean, the same 24 hours? Unarmed, in the jungle, and helpless. I'm going to hunt you for 24 hours, in this jungle, the jungle of the city, with every beast of prey I can buy. I'm going to hunt you, Jimmy. And in the end... When I've wrung every suffering from you, I'm going to kill you. What do you mean? Every beast of prey you can buy. The denizens of the city jungle, the riffraff, the murderers, the men and women who buy and sell murder. I can afford them, Jimmy. See this, Ruby? Hey, is it real? And I have dozens, Jimmy, dozens. I didn't lose my nerve. It's ten o'clock. You can go now. Go and see if you can escape me and my pack. You're going through with this? Get along, Jimmy. Hurry. The beasts will be coming at you from the sewers and the cellars, ambushing you from the shadows into the dawn and through the day for 24 hours until ten tomorrow night. Or you win. You live. Hurry, Jimmy. See how painful death can be.
9: That Kavanaugh's one fellow I never want to uh, hunt me up.
3: Mm-mm. No,
9: sir. That guy slays for creeds. <laughs> 24 hours. Kavanaugh's got 24 hours to kill. And Jimmy has just enough time to die. <laughs> yes, you know, Jimmy might win out over Kavanaugh. Now that he's got an extra skull to go with the one he's stuck with. After all, two heads are better than one. <laughs>
11: Let's live out the terror now, shall we? Hmm. An animal game of murder for 24 hours. I was to be hunted down in a jungle where human beasts came at you from the sewers and cellars, where killers in the hire of a homicidal lunatic lay in ambush. Well, I had to win. I had to save myself. I had to hide. The thing to do was to hide, fade into an alleyway and find a cellar, and stay put for 24 hours just stay put the second lake of garbage cans until ten tomorrow night. Was I alone? Movement. There was a whispering movement somewhere in the cellar. A faint rattle of ash cans as if... as if the wind was rattling them. Wind in an airtight cellar. Hello? Anybody there? No answer. I've been imagining. But then something winged at me, growing into my shoulder, sharp and deadly like a knife. I came to, uh, bleeding from a shoulder gash. I got out of there and back into the streets. Into a jungle of faces. Halloween night like I'd never seen it. Masks and costumes on kids of six and old clones of 60. A crazy jungle of witches and snarling sea captains and lunatics. They couldn't all be in the hire of Kavanaugh. And then, where a fence was plastered with circus posters of jungle animals, a zany-looking guy was shooting from the hip at the poster while making menacing faces like a bad man. And caught a whiff of powder in the night air. The shot had burned into the poster I crept up behind him Faking a gun with my fist in my coat pocket i rammed against his back Get him a pal, oh, Rich I, I got nothing about Samus Your gun, I want your gun handed over Oh, sh- sure, Yeah. Now walk, walk up the block and don't turn back to look I had a gun now and the tables were turned I was the hunter now I drifted to the docks and took up a position with my back to the river. Thinking of suicide, Jimmy? Not anymore, Cavanaugh. You sound as if your morale had suddenly uh, improved. My morale's going great, Cavanaugh. Your animal hunt's about to boomerang. Blow right up in your face like this.
1: Who's hunting who, Cavanaugh? Who's hunting who?
11: Cavanaugh kept standing up. Three bullets point-blank enough to blow his head off the cabin or kept standing up (laughs) on How does it feel to hunt game with blank cartridges like Boxer Dolan and I did once? Blank cartridges? But that crazy-looking guy saw him burn a hole in the circus poster. Only one bullet. The first one was real. Simple. (laughs) Fair, simple. I get it. Dead-Eyed Dick was another one of your beasts. Who's haunting who, Jimmy? Who's haunting who? Now, Kavanaugh! Kavanaugh, wait! Kavanaugh, kill me! Get it over with and kill me now, will you? Kavanaugh, you've got to kill me! I had to get out of there. The subway. Yeah, the subway. Fade into the subway. Get on a train and ride to the end of the line. Ride out of the jungle. An empty station, no one in it. No, no someone. Two people. A dapper little guy buried behind a newspaper, and an old lady in ragged clothes carrying a pet half hidden under a coat. A pet that looked like a cat. She came up to me, close, I'd like to ask me something. Uh, this
7: side
11: goes to Lefferts Avenue station? Uh, Lefferts, I don't know. I'm a stranger here. Oh, oh hush,
7: Genevieve. Oh, Genevieve is hungry. That's not a cat. No, son. A cub. A tiger cub. A a tiger cub? Would you like to stroke Genevieve? No, no, no. Don't run away, son. Genevieve
11: won't hurt. I ran away the old crone after me, hobbling in his skirts, and the little dapper guy behind the newspaper circling at me from the opposite direction, cornering me. I jumped to the tracks, my only out, and I ran. I ran it deep into the bowels of the subway, deep, very deep, and the little dapper guy after me as if he meant business. And then the train, it had a Halloween look too, bearing down on me, an iron face with banjo eyes. I ran against the wall and flattened out. And the train flashed past, and the dapper little guy screamed. was shy of one beast in this jungle. The little guy had been hit glancingly and hurled against the subway wall, pulverized. I got to him quickly and frisked him. I had a gun now. A gun with bullets that killed. I ran. I ran a half mile underground to another station and then back on the streets. Back in the animal game. It was three in the morning. A neon sign read Tellery Street Boys' Neighborhood Association. Halloween costume party. People were straggling out. The fun was over. Uh, Hello. What?
7: You remember me? I uh, know. I'm the witch who gave you a free mask and a grocery bag that you forgot somewhere. And, and you're uh, Jimmy Fox.
11: Jimmy Scott. I, I used to be Jimmy Fox. Sister, are you all right? Am I all right? I mean, are you just what you look, a a sweet kid with brown eyes and a heart? Are you drunk? No, no, no beat. I'm dead beat. I've got to hold up somewhere, get some shut-eye. I've I've got to or I'll die. You're sick? Yeah, yeah, I'm sick, sick. If, If I could just sleep around the clock until 10 tomorrow night, if an angel came along and said, come home with me, I'll put you up. Come home with me,
3: Jimmy.
5: I'll
3: put you up.
11: I fell asleep on the sofa with the gun under my pillow and the girl on a chair watching me anxiously. I had a friend. I could drop off and live in dreamland until ten that night. At ten, I could wake up and live. Coming awake, I heard the alarm we'd set go off. Stopped. And there was a sound. Yeah. An animal sound. Yeah. And then a yeah. claw scratching at me, yeah. tearing at my cheek. Yeah. And I, yeah. I jumped up. The girl was gone. A guy was sitting watching me now. A skinny kid with a heavy shock of hair, not a day over 21. That's a lousy way to have to wake up from a sleep, pal. Lousy way? There was an animal clawing at me. My cheek's bleeding. Genevieve, she isn't housebroken. Still a little wild. You should have seen her dash for the kitchen when you lay out a scream just now. Genevieve, who are you? You're Jimmy Fox, huh? Yeah. I got something for you. For me? Yeah, it was given to me to give to you. There. A, a rupee. Wait a minute, Look. It's 10 o'clock. I set the alarm for 10 and it's 10. Well, it's only a quarter hour. That clock's always 15 minutes ahead. Now the game's over. It's 10 and you can't cheat. I've I've won, Kavanaugh. You can't go back on your promise, Kavanaugh. You can't. What are you trying to get over, pal? I don't... I've won. You can't cheat. I won't be tricked. A gun. Pal, you're crazy. wait. Look.
3: You're crazy. It's 10 and
11: I won't Uh. be tricked, Kavanaugh.
3: I won. (laughs)
11: I'm still on the sofa. My arms are rigid and my legs rigid, like something exploded inside me and paralyzed my nerves. I can just look and hear. She's in the room now, a girl with a sweet face and brown eyes, only her eyes are red, swollen from crying. I hear her talking to a cop. He's taking down what she says.
3: He was a stray. He was like a sick dog in the street. So I picked him up and brought him home.
11: Yes, sir. why did he kill your brother, Buddy? I
3: don't know. I was taking a shower, and I heard him scream like a crazy man. I heard him talk all mixed up. And I was taking a shower, and I couldn't get here in time.
11: There must be something you've entirely
3: missed. Oh, officer, everything is all so mixed up. At the Tillery Street costume ball, a man gave me a cat with tiger
2: stripes, and he begged me to keep it for him for a while until he found a new home for it. He'd been evicted, he
3: said. Yes? Well, then, in the all-night restaurant my brother works in, a man gave Buddy a ruby to give to Jimmy Fox. When he woke
11: up, he told my
9: brother the ruby belonged to Jimmy Fox.
11: This piece of glass? Oh, yes. That's uh, something off the Woolworth time counter. Uh, what else?
3: That's all. It's really, that's all.
11: Over. I watch and I hear. I see through Kavanaugh's trick. Get me crazy, so I'll murder a stranger who called himself Buddy. The brother of a girl with brown eyes and a heart. Frame me, so I'll just want to die For weeks of a murder trial and months in the death house and four minutes in the death chair. I kept listening to them talk, the girl and the cop. Okay, we'll have to get the rest from Jimmy Fox here.
3: Yeah,
11: look at him. He's paralyzed with fright. I wonder what kind of a crazy Halloween story he's going to try to palm off on us when we get him talking. Captain Deverell speaking. Uh, McAvoy, send a police ambulance to 445 10 Street, apartment 3 rear. And McAvoy, see that a straitjacket's on that ambulance.
3: Ah,
9: quite a chase, it got so poor Jim didn't know whether he was coming or going. Nuts. <laughs> what got his goat most was the way he kept seeing animals everywhere. Very confusing to a guy on the lamb. Yeah, I guess so he couldn't tell whose zoo <laughs> Tomorrow? Oh sure. I read this Halloween notice on a tree somewhere. Never hunt out of reason.
11: Was heard in the United States over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System, and has been rebroadcast for servicemen and women overseas. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education.